Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast brought to you by Blue Water Climate Control. Glad to have you with us on this Friday. Obviously, a ton of d- to get to. What a crazy week it's been for Tennessee. Um, and, and we'll jump around, Jesse, Austin, Rob here, and I'll jump around with some of these questions. So I'm going to skip the first one and go right to Smoky Man 15. He wants to know where did all the juice from? Where did all this juice come from this week? Anybody want to jump in there and explain what has created um, a week like we hadn't seen in recruiting before, or at least I hadn't seen in recruiting before? I don't think anybody knows Brent. I, I had one staff member call me last week, very frustrated with the lack of traction they had. And he was a prominent staff member. And, and then a week later I, I said, well, that escalated quickly. And he's like, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, I don't think anybody on staff saw this to this degree. I mean, landing one guy, but to see it snowball, the way it has and uh you know hey that's that's a you know a credit to the, the relationships that the staff built and getting the right guys that have pull that have um you know have an impact on other recruits around them that are, are high profile guys i think just helps. yeah i mean i i think credit goes to a guy i mean clearly he's pushing it out on twitter that he's like the greatest recruiter but i do think that the 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 swell kind of happened after Kamar Wilcoxon joined the joined the class. I mean, Tennessee had felt like they were in a pretty good spot with Dylan Brooks, um, but for him to make that decision on Sunday uh, was a bit of a surprise, just because he had been pretty adamant, "Hey, I, I want to kind of take some more visits." Um, and yet he goes and jumps in the boat. There's some guys on staff that obviously think extremely highly of him, believe he could be the highest rated. Commit that they've had this class Cox in the next day, you know, and the fact that he was a former Florida commit multiple times, not sure where he was on Alabama's board, but Tennessee gets him, and then he's out there just immediately spamming every top recruit. That even though they haven't gotten some of those guys, I think it helped kind of accelerate the process for some guys that Tennessee was in a pretty good spot with. So Julian Nixon says, Hey, I'm gonna go ahead and get in the boat. So Tyon Evans says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and get in the boat. And then Terrence Lewis had no intention two weeks ago of probably committing to Tennessee this early. The Vols felt like they had a real shot there. They felt like it was a three-horse race uh, with Texas A&M and Nebraska. But Lewis, again, was adamant to multiple people from multiple recruiting services uh, that he wanted to take some visits, you know, that he wanted to kind of get back to Lincoln, get back to Knoxville, get back to – you know, Texas A&M, but this swell happens. He's on the phone with all these guys. He feels like his relationship with Niedermeyer, who would be his position coach, is key. Boom, he commits and and to cap, you know, Brooks and then actually land a guy that's even probably a more impressive prospect than Lewis is pretty remarkable. You know, Rob, it's interesting. Momentum's funny. You you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get. Then when you get it, how long can you ride the wave? And, and for Tennessee to ride it, all week long is crazy. The question now is, can they keep riding it through the month of May? Because as Austin said, th- this is a week that, that we haven't seen. Um, it's you unprecedented. Know. Yeah, it's crazy. This time of year. And I, I mean, I think it's, I mean, it goes without saying, it's remarkable that they're doing this during, you know, a, essentially a dead period. You know, kids haven't been on campus in over a month. It's not like they, you know, came up for the spring game or were blown away by what they saw. And, um, I think, you know, a real testament to this staff, to, to them being creative, and also them getting a bunch of guys on campus early in their high school careers. 
Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, what's crazy I mean, about this is Tyon Lewis has never been on camp. Has never met with the staff on campus. Lewis hadn't been here in a year. I mean, it like that. Like it, Wilcoxon hadn't been here in a year. I mean, it's kind of crazy that those are three of the guys that they did get in the boat right here. Well, I think it's guys that have. Well, you're right. Evans has never been here outside of just driving through. Um, but the other two have at least seen campus. So I mean, like once you've seen an academic facility and an indoor complex, they're all kind of the same. To me, a lot of that comes down to, have you seen it? Yes, you've seen it. And then the relationships that, they, that they've built. And, uh, you know, with, with a guy like Tyon Evans, that one's been, you know, uh, you know, in the hopper for a while. I mean, you know, he talked about doing a video a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, that's why he had that committed graphic already, um, you know, on him. And like I said, you know, you had, you know, Coach Graham, Coach Osset, two guys that have been leading the charge and, and, and trying to get Tyon Evans in the boat, neither one of those knew he was going today. Like, they would talk to him last night. They were pushing him. And then he didn't say, hey, guys, I'm going to commit in an hour. He said, look at Twitter, and boom, uh, you know, it was out there for the masses. All right, let's go to Vol I Am, who's got a series of questions here that all kind of ties some of this together and then obviously jumps into some uh, stuff about uh, the college football season. Uh, let's start with the recruiting stuff he has. Biggest recruit, recruiting coup over the last 10 days and the biggest name to watch in the next 10 days. AP, I'll start with you. Who's the biggest coup out of this group? Ooh, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's Dylan Brooks because they have built such a nice relationship there. I think it's getting Lewis into the boat, as Jesse said, um, you know, getting him into the boat when he's not been here. I mean, Brooks has been here several times since, since Lewis was here that one time on a quick trip last summer. Um, so to me, getting him in the boat was, was massive. Um, you know, and in the next 10 days, I, I mean, that means that'll take you to mother's day. Cause I mean, this is May 1st. So, um, any of the kids from Baltimore, if they were to end up picking Tennessee, I mean, you know, I think that would be a big coup because that's so tough to pull kids out of that area. Um, you know, well, more you'd so be, than you'd be beating Bama for Aaron Willis too. Yeah. And, and more so than Caden Salter, who I think I, I Oh, I, I personally think we have him, uh, you know, underrated at rivals, um, you know, but I, I, at the end of the day, I think, you know, beating out those position guys over, you know, beating out, you know, Baylor and Auburn, you know, Baylor played in the Sugar Bowl last year in Auburn, um, you know. Well, I think what you're saying with Auburn, you know, but, but to beat out Alabama and to beat out a, a Missouri kid, you know, to beat out Maryland and those guys for, um, you know, for those for those players is, is obviously um, significant if you can beat out those guys and go for there. Uh, let, let me go to the next part of his question here. Do you anticipate all 14 SEC teams participating and playing this fall? And could you see a scenario where conference teams uh, have any realignment following this unprecedented year to be more financially sound? Um, Rob, let's start with you. You, you think everybody's going to play? In the conference, I mean, I've said it before. I don't, I don't know what it looks like as far as fans in the stands or you know limits on seating capacity. But I, I, th I, I don't see how they don't play just from a financial standpoint. Um, you know, talking with people at the university, I mean, the the, fi the financial impact of not having a football season is just the ripple effects would be tremendous. I mean, you're talking about television contracts just to start with. You're talking, you're going to have to. I mean, it's, it's not even an if scenario. It's a certainty. If they don't have football, they're going to be eliminating a lot of other non-revenue sports. 
Yeah, I think so. But I do think it's going to be interesting, Jesse, to see if, uh, look, the SEC, as we mentioned in the war room, um, is the, the fact of the matter, when you, when you look at the SEC, it's more regional. You know, the ACC stretches from New York to Miami. you got a lot of different variables state to state in there um, making decisions, whereas the SEC is tied into a much more of a regional deal. Um, so I could see the entire SEC playing, but would it be that the entire SEC is playing, or I mean the ACC is playing, or even the Pac-10? You know, what's California going to do versus Arizona, Oregon, Washington? I think that's part of the unknown. And we had, you know, a story this week where uh, an unnamed AD said, you know, a couple of unnamed ADs said, hey, we're going to, you know, if we have to play without a team in our conference, we'll play without a team in our conference. Will that really happen? I'm very skeptical that'll happen within a conference. Now, there may be the situation that you just uh, laid out in terms of the Pac-12 versus the SEC. Um, but again, that gets back to, uh, a statement I made on a previous podcast that, you know, without kind of a, a, a sports commissioner for, you know, college football, um, these are some of the difficult decisions that are going to have to be made because these states are not on uniform timelines. Uh, you know, even, you know, some gyms in Georgia are technically open, but a lot of gyms are not, you know, and what happens next week in Tennessee when some gyms start to get open? Well, your local YMCA be open or are they going to kind of continue to, to be careful? Um, so it continues to be kind of dealt with on a state by state basis. Again, it's not a sexy answer, but right now it's just, we don't know. And, and we won't know uh, probably until the end of May, likely beginning of June. And if we don't have clarity by then, then I think the season as we have currently constituted is in trouble. And that's when the, these, a, B, C, D, and E contingency plans start getting, you know, really laid out and kind of hammered home on, all right, if we get to this date, this is what happens then. If we get to X date, that's what happens now. And clearly everybody wants to play. I mean, that's why you're seeing all these schools saying, you know, their plan is to have students back on campus. Part of that's for athletic purposes as well. That's not the sole reason, but part of that is, is an athletic statement. But none of that is a guarantee at this point in time. As Jesse said, I don't know is the better answer. We'll know more in six weeks or so. 423 Volunteer wants to know, Austin, any new news on JT Daniels? What's his time frame? Also, what's the likelihood of Tony Grimes and Mims? Over and under on three and a half total five stars in the signing class when it's all said and done. Go. <laughs> uh, we'll start with JT Daniels. Time frame, I don't know. I don't think the kid knows. I mean, because of the situation we're in, it's not like he's trying to get here for first, first session summer school and go right. and start going with other kids. So he's got a little more time on his hands um, than maybe, you know, uh, you normally would have. So I think he'll take his time. I still maintain LSU and Tennessee are the top two, Michigan and Oregon are right there lurking in the, in the shadows as a potential destination uh, for JT. Um, you know, Michigan finished two there coming out of high school, but I'm not sure that they are the odds-on favorite here uh, as he gets a reboot on uh, his decision from a couple of years ago. Um, Tony Grimes? Grimes. I don't see Tennessee ending up with Tony Grimes. I think Tennessee actually has a better shot with Mims than they do Grimes. And I think, you know, Mims would be, you know, a massive undertaking to land him. But – when you start pulling in some of his buddies, you know, again, some kids, that they're going to listen to their buddies. But at the end of the day, you know, Amiris is going to make the decision best for him. 
Um, but I do think it definitely helps Tennessee. It puts them in the game for world week ago. And, uh, and then over under, what, three and a half? Is that right? Five. Yeah, three and a half, five stars. It depends on who gets a fifth star, who gets – I mean, that's, that's all up for debate at this point in time. Well, you got to remember now, and I mean, I'm going to get on my soapbox here a little bit. It, it, it's so funny, like, you know, 24-7 lovers come out and say, well, so-and-so is a five-star. But they have them ranked as a four-star. At the 24-7 rankings, they have a kid a four-star, but they're going to claim – they claim whatever's convenient. So let's go ahead and claim the, the, the composite here, as I give the air quotes which is a combination of ESPN rivals and, and 24-7, I think Tennessee ends up with three. They've already got two. I think they can land one more. All right, let's go to Jake Dog 13. Ingram Dawkins have the Vols on top. What position are the Vols recruiting Marley for? Came in Marley for. Um, Ingram Dawkins, I won't say Tennessee's on top, but I think that they're in the mix with the top teams there. I think they're a huge contender in his recruitment. Um, as far as Cayman Marley, Tennessee's going to recruit him as an athlete, let him get here and figure it out. I know what Gritty says. I know Tennessee likes the kid, um, you know, as a guy that could potentially really help on defense, but they're not going to tell the kid he won't get a shot on offense because he is very talented on that side of the ball. Uh, Dagley 07, if the Vols keep recruiting at this level, are there some commits that may be forced to look around, Jesse? Uh, it's been discussed before, but would the Vols take both Evans, who they have in the boat now, and Cody Brown seems like both of those guys really want to be Vols. We've always already seen Evans jump in. And where do the Vols stand with Corey Foreman? I mean, well, the first they're not in the mix with Corey Foreman, but uh, not yet, at least. I mean, but you know, he, he's the former uh, Clemson commit who uh, seems to have some ties with LSU, uh, obviously Southern Cal, and then Georgia. Um, as for the other two questions, I think yes and yes. I mean, a decommitments are just kind of part of the game these days. Tennessee had 15, I believe, a year ago. Some that they didn't want to lose. Some that they, you know, were fine with kind of seeking other uh, other greener pastures. But when you look at some of the other guys that are still out there, the fact that I think specifically Tennessee continues to recruit guys like Cayman Marley, Rucker, and some other guys, you know, in terms of defensive backs, they already have a lot of defensive backs in this class. And so the math just doesn't shake out in terms of needs elsewhere that you're going to load up on, you know, three more defensive backs when you already have so many guys uh, committed currently. And, you know, AP answered the, the other question on the board earlier. They do – they would still take Cody Brown. Now, I, I personally, I think that would be an interesting decision, again, because of some needs elsewhere. They don't have any offensive linemen committed yet. They still need some help, I think, at defensive line particularly on the interior, uh, but they would. I mean, they like Cody Brown a lot. Perhaps, you know, AP can speak to this. Maybe Evans's decision at least slows down Brown's decision, who could have committed this week as well, may still. But I think the fact that, you know, he does have some interest in Georgia, but Georgia maybe hasn't reciprocated that. Perhaps now he says, hey, I'll wait a little bit and kind of see how this plays out. I mean, I think it's possible um, that he definitely slows things down, but I do know that, you know, Tennessee was, you know, in contact with Cody when Tyon decided to surprisingly pop in and get, and get in the boat. Um, and, and so Cody was well aware of who Tyon Evans was well before Tyon ever officially committed. So I, I think, it, you know, Tennessee would definitely take both. The question is, is, you know, would Evans, Brown, and Wright, would they all three be okay with, you know, being a you know triumvirate in this class at the running back position? 
you know, that's a tough ask in today's time, Brent. It just doesn't happen very often, you know, just because, you know, everybody wants the ball. Well, and everybody knows who everybody is because they've seen them at camps. you got to remember back in 1997, Travis Henry had no idea who Travis Stevens was <laughs> yeah. Jamal or Jamal Lewis was. Dominic Stevenson had never seen Jamal Lewis at a camp somewhere. You know, Tennessee's telling Dominic Stevenson, hey, you're going to be our focal running back. Jamal Lewis is going to grow into a fullback. And then Dominic Stevenson got two practices at running back and went to linebacker. You know, nobody knew who anybody was back then. It's totally different now because of what we're seeing on social media and all the camps that are out there. Rob, this is to you. Our burger wants to know, um, with Steve Forbes getting the wake job, what could be the trickle-down effect for Tennessee in terms of could a Tennessee assistant land on the, uh, the ETSU job? How could that affect Tennessee recruiting if that were the case? Uh, I think Des Oliver and Mike Schwartz will both, I mean, certainly – without question be interested in it and I, I would I would guess that both of them will be majorly in play uh, recruiting wise if Oliver is not on Tennessee staff then that's a big blow um, we're talking about he's the lead guy with Jabari Smith um, that would I mean that would hurt Tennessee for sure he's the lead guy with Harrison Ingram I mean I'm not saying Tennessee would be out of those but there would definitely need to be work done uh, on the recruiting front. Kim English is the main guy with Kennedy Chandler, although Oliver is involved there, and English is definitely the guy with um, Banchero. So I, I, Kim, I think Kim's too young, and um, I don't know what Oliver or Schwartz's chances are, but I think that they will be um, – I'll be surprised if they're not really in the mix, assuming ETSU, you know, does hire a, a high major assistant. And also, you know, don't – one thing to keep in mind that I think will work in their favor, there are a lot of high-level boosters – at Tennessee that also have ties to ETSU that will, um, you know, I think probably help facilitate them being majorly in play. And I also wouldn't discount the fact that Philip Fulmer has a lot of ties to, um, to that athletic department as well, helping them reboot the football program. And obviously, you know, knows Scott Carter from his time at, at Tennessee. Hard hat Vol wants to know what players do you think will get the most snaps at tight end behind Pope this year? Seems like a big question mark behind Austin Pope. Who is the who's going to be the tight end of record, Jesse? Who are you going with? I mean, by default, I think it's going to be Prince and Fant. I just don't. I don't. I don't think you can. You, you can hypothesize. We can hypothesize that Warren, who I do think is going to play, because Tennessee played a lot of three guys last year. You know, Andrew Craig got a lot of snaps. Um, I think Warren's going to be in the mix. Maybe Sean Brown. You know, the the, the wild card there because he practiced two days in the spring. Uh, is Jordan Allen, you know, who's a former tight end, flipped over, uh, played outside linebacker, now back at tight end. But, I mean, Fant, you know, has the most experience, even though that's not a lot. Uh, so I would go there. All right. Let's go to James 0624 for everybody here. With the new NCAA guidelines for athletes prom profiting off their name and likeness set to take place in 21-22, how hard is Tennessee selling their player brand building to recruits currently? Seems like Tennessee is one of the first schools to get out in front of this by partnering with that company, which, by the way, multiple people have partnered with the, that company whose name escapes me right now. Also, do you think it might play a role in roster retention? If I'm a guy at a Power 5 school that is a fringe guy that's right or above or below the line, but that school's pushing my brand and I'm getting to profit off of that, it makes me think twice about finding a new home. Would it be beneficial for depth and practice purposes? Yeah, I don't know about all the last part of that. I, I think no, just, no, they're pushing a fringe guy's brand. That's not, yeah. that, that's not the way that stuff's going to work. 
No, I, I don't think so at all. And, and I think that's going to be the fascinating part of this is, is how does it work? I think there's still so many question marks out there in terms of the management of this, but who all is going to be, you know, who all is going to have the opportunity to really make money off their likeness? I mean, you know, is the, is the right guard versus the quarterback? Certainly the quarterback's going to make, have a chance to make more money off of his likeness than another position is. I, I wonder too, Rob, however, from a college basketball standpoint, how this ruling affects the G League and what the G League is selling to the high school kids. Hey, you don't have to go to school. We're going to pay you a salary. You can make up to, quote, a half million dollars with endorsements and all these things. Where's that dollar figure going to be for a top five basketball player, particularly when you bring in the shoe company element in, into the college basketball world? Does that negate some of the G League's movement to try to get some of those kids into their league instead of the college for one year? I think it will for kids that, you know, the motivation is strictly financial, you know, to go to the G League and start, you know, helping mom out, you know, with, with the rent, the electricity bill. And I, I think, you know, there's, there's always going to be some kids that just have no interest in, you know, darkening the door of a college classroom. So, I mean, I, I, think, I don't think there's any doubt that it will help, but I still think you're going to lose some kids who just, you know, have no interest in school when they get started, you know, trying to be a pro basketball player. What, what do you think, Jesse, is the biggest challenge in managing this? In, in managing this, Because it seems very complex because, you know, you've got schools who have deals with certain companies. They have parameters that you can't have competitors in there. You're going to have companies not want to do deals with schools, want to deal, do deals with just athletes only. What's the hardest part you think that's going to be for, for schools to manage? It's not the NCAA, but the school part of it. Well, I, see, I was going to say the, the – the macro deal with me is just how, how real or disingenuous, I almost say disingenuous, but how interested is the NCAA in really making this work? Because the parameters that they laid out yesterday were full of so much confusing legally, you know, politicians and, and, and schools and shoe companies and all that, that, to really break it down, I don't think there's going to be any clarity uh, for many months on, on that issue. Well, think, the school, in terms of the shoe deal, I mean, that's a great, you know, and just one specific thing. So if Tennessee is a Nike school, uh, and let's say one of the recruits that they just got, let's say, you know, Terrence Lewis has been rocking, you know, Under Armour Adidas down at Northwestern, and now, you know, Chaminade, what if, what if they're like, hey, we, we want to we we sponsor you. How does that, you know – who has who kind of has the licensing uh, agreements there? Does the school went out, or is a player still allowed to kind of rock his stuff? Those are that's just a, a, a one of many many unanswered questions in the stuff they released uh, just earlier this week. Rob, that that to me is the biggest one. I mean, Brent, you mentioned it. Like, what if you know, First Tennessee obviously is a huge you know sponsor of Tennessee, the Vol Network, all that. What if you know Home Federal Bank wants to? you know, sponsor the, you know, wants, wants to do a deal with a quarterback. What do you do there? I mean, just like Jesse was saying, I think it's a, I mean, it's a huge problem that they're, they're going to have to iron out. Well, and I think, I think that it feels like sort of what Jesse was saying, I'm going to piggyback and agree with that. It feels like the NCAA said, okay, we're going to give you this. Okay. And then everybody's got to figure it out. And because it's so complex, it's just delaying it more. So, I, I mean, I don't know how, realistic it is for that thing to go into effect in in january with, with everything that still has to be ironed out about that who's going to try to delay it with the political angles and all those things in there i think it's going to be really fascinating um to to watch 
uh, over the course of the coming months when everybody tries picks apart all the questions that you have to answer um, and look at and, and things that people have not thought of at this point in time. All right, Austin, to you, Go Vols 21. Over under three and a half commits in the next two weeks post Lewis and Evans. Does the Evans commit? We've already talked about the Cody Brown thing. So let's just go to um, three and a half commits in the next two weeks. You're taking the over or the under? Over. Wow. Whoa. Hey, Pete, throwing chum in the water. Sending everybody ablaze. Going to need a bigger boat, Rob Lewis, is what you're going to need. Hey, it, hey it, it doesn't feel like 98 hubs. It feels like 94 <laughs> when they started to build towards 98. Oh, I'm, you know me. I'm the, my glass is half empty on everything in life, AP. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> doomsday, doomsday hubs. All right, let's go to uh, Nashville uh, 615. Look at the elite teams of college football right now, LSU, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, maybe Georgia, Oklahoma, et cetera. The one thing they have in common is explosive is offensive explosion and mobile quarterbacks. I'm not sure I buy all that. Are Pruitt and Chaney willing to make the changes needed like Saban, Coach O, and others have made over the last few years to reach the next level? The Vols offense isn't terrible, but all these other teams are trying to put up 50 points every game they touch the field. I'm not saying fire Chaney by any means, but pro style only goes so far. What does pro style even mean anymore? You know, um, I don't remember Jake Fromm being a guy that runs around everywhere. Joe Burrow certainly made more of his living by throwing the football than running. Same for Tua. Um, so it's not like Lamar Jackson was running around for those teams that he just mentioned. I think it's about just getting better quarterback play. Well, I think the key is that those schools, and Georgia did not do this a year ago, but they did do it the previous season when Cheney was the offensive coordinator there, it's getting your playmakers the ball in space. That's what all those schools do. I mean, that's what Alabama did with Tua. That's what Joe Burrow did with LSU stud receivers. And they spread, and they spread it out more, too, with those five wide receiver sets a year ago yeah, at it's LSU. Just, it's getting, you know, the ball. The, Mismatches. The playmakers the ball in space. And that's something that I do think Tennessee needs to do a better job of. You know, I mean, they, they, they had – they made some offensive improvements, but they were still not a good offense a year ago, you know, on the whole. Yeah, I mean, on the whole. And I think it started, Rob, with guys with the quarterback position and the inconsistency. No I mean, there were guys who were open at times. They weren't perfect at the receiver spot or at the other spot. But it, it starts with finding a guy who can deliver the football. Joe Burrow delivered the football. LSU did a great job schematically getting guys open. But Burrell threw it on time and delivered the football. So it's, it goes hand-in-hand hand with each other. Tennessee's got to, uh, got, got to do a better job of getting it um, in the guy's hands in, in, a, in an immediate fa- – or in a faster fashion here. Um, let's go for um, – well, let's, let's go to Stock 100. Rob, update. Have you heard anything on the uniform question from a couple of weeks ago? About making the colors match. I'm I am sorry, I have not. I dropped the ball on that one. I will uh I will I will get on that. I'm gonna make myself a note. All right. Uh, Brent wants to know top five favorite Tennessee players to cover and why. Uh listening to Billy Ratliff made me think of this question because you talked about how much you like covering Billy Ratliff. Uh you know, I I mean, I think I've named and Arian Foster's at the top. No, sure. <laughs> no Arian Foster uh, Talking in a foreign or whatever that language he tried to create doesn't do anything. That I mean, look, I mean, uh, Eric Berry was great to cover. Al Wilson was great to cover. Billy uh, was fantastic. Um, a lot of guys. I mean, I, there's no no way I can name five. I like Gerard Mayo a lot. 
Yeah, Gerard Mayo was a good guy. By the way, Hallmark moment here for Jesse. You're great on the S&P reports. Thank you for making that segment so valuable. So thanks to, thanks to you, Jesse, uh, from Stock 100 there. All right. Jesse's love just keeps flowing. On, there you go. Fi- final He's question. crapped all over me. <laughs> final question here. Uh, he, didn't, yeah, he didn't want anything to do with you. Last one out the gate. Vol Lover wants to know, after two full seasons and now working on a third recruiting class, where do you put Jeremy Pruitt's chances of winning an SEC championship at some point at Tennessee, are the chances better in your opinion now that you've gotten a better look at him as a head coach and how he runs a program? What are the biggest differences in Pruitt and the previous two head coaches that give you hope that Tennessee can get back to Atlanta in the near future? I, I, I personally don't like the, the revolving door of coaches. I know that's kind of the, the name of the game, but I do feel like there's been probably a touch too much of that oh, just because I think staff. it's hard to build staff continuity. Okay. But I think as a, as a coach, he has grown so much from the moment he got here where he knew nothing about being a head coach and would tell you that. Like he things that he did not know you had to do, little things, whether it be media boosters, all that stuff, he has gotten so comfortable in those settings. Um, I, you know, I think that he, he only helped his cause. And he's got really quality people around him, more so now than, than ever before. They're recruiting at a greater level now. So I, if you'd asked me a year and a half ago, I would have told you I didn't know if he could win an SEC title. Um, but now I do think he definitely can win an SEC title. But, again, just to get to Atlanta, so many things have to marry together. Look, for Peyton Manning to make it there in 1997, Brent, Florida had to lose two times. That was for Peyton Manning. For Peyton Manning. And, it, and that was the program to be, you know, really kind of reaching its zenith almost, you know, so, so to speak. It took Florida losing twice because you lost to Florida. So you have to take advantage of those games against Georgia and Florida. If you don't, it's just such an uphill battle to get to Atlanta, which gives you an opportunity to win it. Jesse, go with you. Your thoughts. I, I mean, I don't – I would like to see year three. I think this is going to be a pivotal season. I agree with, with what AP just echoed in terms of Jeremy's uh, own personal growth. Um, now, obviously, the roster is starting to, to – to be built up in a fashion that, that, that Tennessee fans are more accustomed to, um, you know, can they make that next step? And, and so uh, the hardest step, though, isn't going from, you know, four or five wins to seven, eight wins. It's, it's winning, you know, eight wins to 10 or 11 games. And, and that's going to be when Jeremy's – when, when they start really knocking off a Florida uh, or an Alabama or a Georgia or whoever, um, and they do that, you know, more times than not in one season, then that's when you're going to know, hey, they can actually do it. Rob? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle the part about the difference between the last staff. and I mean, Austin, you, you know better than me on this one. But I, I think the biggest difference I see is the credibility he seems to have with his players. And I think that comes from his ability to be real with them, to be genuine, to you know, not have everything be a slogan or you know, some kind of motivational ploy. And I think he's very comfortable – telling hard truths to kids and not, not in a confrontational manner, but just, you know, laying it out there for, you know, where they are in the program, what they need to do or why, you know, why this is happening, why they're not playing in a, in a fashion that, that Butch just, you know, did not have the, the capability of doing. Well, I think more than anything, Robin, I think this is the point you're trying to hit on is Jeremy just don't care. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what I think. He doesn't care what Larry and, and double Y thinks. Yes. Yeah. Butch cared about all that. He cared about yes. what the janitor thought, Agreed. about where his pen placement was on his desk. He worried way too much. The, this group, they're going to go out and be them, and if that means they win big, they win big. And it, but they're going to do it their way, 
And, and if that means if they don't win big, then they know that they did it their way and they didn't worry about what anybody else thought along the way. Actually, at some point, you make some concessions in recruiting. He's not really done that, um, you know, through, you know, three recruiting classes to this point. I mean, there's been a couple of times where, you you know, you, you go a certain route. But Bush took way too many, like, worried about the perception so he kid because perception was good. You know, I mean, this year, I mean, Tennessee's got, what, two kids committed in the state of Tennessee, Brent? Talking about Walker Merrill. You're talking about Elijah Howard. They may only get two, two other commitments in this state. They may only have four, maybe. I mean, you know, they continue to recruit the way they're recruiting. Yeah, I, I think for me the biggest answer is going to be can he keep his coordinators there? I think when you look at Butch, I think, you know, the hiring of Bob Shoup was was, was bad news. And, and you know, had that worked out better, then, then maybe Butch could have won an SEC Eastern Division. I think you look at Derek Dooley, they had an offense that could have won the Eastern Division, but they had a defense that was a disaster because he hired Sal Sinceri. I think right now Jeremy Pruitt has a defense coordinator and Derek Ansley, who's a good recruiter and a good coach. I think he's got a proven guy in the SEC and Jim Chaney. And I think you got to hold that part of the continuity together uh, as you continue to recruit and build this program if you're going to have a chance to win uh, the Eastern Division and go to Atlanta and have a chance to compete for the SEC title. That's going to do it for this edition of the mail, the mailbag edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. I want to remind you about our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control in East Tennessee. You need a reliable heating and air system designed for your home and our climate. You need a team that's trained and held to the highest of standards. You need solutions, not sales pitches. There are many heating and air companies in East Tennessee. There's only one name that you need to remember. That's Blue Water Climate Control. Veteran-owned, family-operated. When you need a new system or a major repair, Blue Water's not going to send out a salesperson to look at things. They're going to send out an air conditioning expert who's going to come to your home, lay out the options that are best for you. That includes repairing the system you have or maybe replacing it with a system that's affordable, upgrading your energy efficiency, and improving your indoor air quality. All options are on the table, and you'll hear from those from an air conditioning expert. They have financing, uh, including same as cash and even rent to own. Call them today at 865-299-2290 or visit them at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to make an appointment. Blue Water Climate Control is an authorized dealer for American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, and you can follow them on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate. For Austin Price, Jesse Simonton, and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody.